Well, good morning, everybody. I'd like to start off by saying, even though I'm up here at the big, fancy pulpit, I'm coming to you today as a fellow brother in Christ, and definitely not someone who has authority. So I'm just going to be going through some of the things that I've interpreted and responded to some scriptures during my readings. So we'll start off with the previous scripture earlier, 2 Timothy, was our scripture because for me, every scripture is God-breathed, and that's what I'm focusing on because for me, that puts all the scripture on equal ground for me. And I feel that's so important for me because without that scripture, I find we have a tendency to neglect some of the other scriptures or at least not put as much focus on some of the more uncomfortable ones. And the reason I bring that up is because, well, who doesn't know the story of Father Abraham and his son Isaac? But at the same time, if I say, who knows the story of Jephthah and his daughter, well, that's not, that probably doesn't jump to your mind. At least it didn't jump to my mind when I recently reheard this. When I, when I reheard this list recently, you know, I was listening to you and I said, that's very similar to Abraham and Isaac, but why don't I know it as well? Um, we all know Father Abraham and Isaac. In fact, Father Abraham even has a little song. Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons had... Yeah, I'll stop there. You're welcome. Um, but... You know, we don't have a story or a song for Jephthah, even though, like I said, to me, the story was just so similar. And so with that, I'd like to go ahead and open up to Jephthah at Judges 11, 29 through 39. All right. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mizpah of Gilead. And from there, he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aurora to the vicinity of Meneth, as far as abel Karamim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of timbrels? She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you have promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends, because I will never marry. You may go, he said. And he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept, because she would never marry. After two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had vowed. And she was a virgin. Now, originally, when I wanted to, when this this scripture, you know, reached out to me, and I wanted to do a lesson in regards to it. So the first thing that came to my mind was, well, a foolish tongue, because that is, in fact, what happens with Jephthah's vow. Um, and, in fact, 
we can see that this is actually a pretty good lesson because there are some verses um, such as Matthew 12, 36 through 37. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted, by your words you'll be condemned. It also shows up in Proverbs 13.3. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. And then in James 3.8. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poisons. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have made, been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So, with these verses, we can definitely say a foolish tongue is a good sermon topic. In fact, it's one that I personally need to hear a lot more often. But, at the same time, this doesn't answer the question of why Jephthah wasn't taught so often. Because that's what was really bothering me. So, I ended up keep reading, praying, and studying this passage. The next lesson I found when reading this chapter was the cost of obedience. And in this case, the cost of obedience for Jephthah was the life of his daughter. And for his daughter, it was the, her future. And it was here that I start to see the similarities between the story of Father Abraham and Isaac. So, if we will turn to Genesis 22.1-2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Morah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. So we all know the ending of that story. At least I believe we all do. Now, Abraham didn't end up sacrificing his son. God stopped him because it was only a test. And because it was a test, he didn't want Isaac's death. So, and I think this is where we actually begin to see the differences between the passes in Judges. And that's why we don't talk about Jephthah as much, because Abraham had a bit of a, you know, that's a great ending. Jephthah, unfortunately, did in fact have to sacrifice his daughter. So... Now, at this point, for anyone who's not familiar, I do want to point out that even though Jephthah's daughter was sacrificed, God doesn't want any human sacrifices. All right? And you don't have to take my words for it. We can look through these passages at Deuteronomy 12, 31. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things that the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. In Jeremiah 19.5, we read that they have built the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal, something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. I went on and I found that there is actually a better example for what sacrificing entails to God in Samuel. If we look at 1 Samuel 127 through 28, I prayed for this child, and the Lord was granted me in what I asked of him. So I now give him to the Lord for his whole life. He'll be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And 
to 11 if you read the last passage, the last part. But the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. If you will forgive my paraphrasing, God has a plan and he needs workers. So why would he accept the death of his workers? You know, our God is a God of the living. He doesn't want the death. He needs, when he, when he asks a sacrifice of us, it's, it's your whole life. It's not just the short time you're here, but, but everything you have to give. So, with that being said, why did Jephthah's daughter end up having to be sacrificed? Well, to look into that, we go back to what I originally said with the foolish tongue. It's because of Jephthah's vow and the fact that our God is a just God. Okay? God delivered the Ammonites into Jephthah's hands. 20 towns he delivered. And therefore fulfilled his part of the promise. So it is only just that the other condition of the vow be fulfilled as well. Even if this was not desired by God. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where even if you win, you can't help but feel like you lose? I can relate to this. To, to share a little bit about my life and a little bit of personal story, um, when I'm able to, I do like to go down and visit my grandparents. I spend time with them um, in fellowship and as well as while working on the house. We've done multiple projects. Some have been great. Some have failed. <laughs> But, um, you know, it's, it's an ongoing goal. And so when I spend this time with my grandparents, before I leave, my grandfather always makes sure to settle up with me. He pays me for whatever work that I've done to his house. And most of the time, I, I used to always try to refuse. But any time I did, he'd bring out Luke 10.7. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give me. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And so, even though I don't want to, I accept his payment. And I hate it. I don't hate it because I don't like money. I'm not that righteous. I hate it because I much rather gift this to my grandparents, right? I much rather say thank you for everything they gave us and... And so, you know, I don't want to do it. The, the reason I can do half of the work is because of the way my life has turned out. And it's a lot of it's thanks to them that this is possible. So even though, even though I don't want the money, I end up taking it. Because there's another verse that really helps me deal with this. And I believe in Matthew 20, 14, 15. Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. So when I accept that, the work we did was on my grandfather's house. He owns the house. It's his property. The, the money that I'm given is from my grandfather, and he's given it freely. It's his money. He can do what he wants with it. So at the end of the day, when all is said and done, you know, I love my grandfather. And so I respect it, that it's his, his house and it's his money. And I take it because I believe it's the right thing to do. I think it's, he is justified in giving me the money after doing work for his house. But 
that doesn't mean I necessarily like it, and I wouldn't rather just gift it to them. So, with that in mind, what, is, what does this all mean? What have, what have I talked about already? Well, and more importantly, what does this have to do with the sermon title? Because <laughs> I haven't forgotten, at least not yet. I believe we all know of Father Abraham so closely because through God's grace, he didn't have to sacrifice his son Isaac. Because of the goat, Abraham's story has a happy ending, a happy ever after. I remember being taught in Sunday school by our teacher. She was telling us the story of Abraham and Isaac. And, you know, she would be telling the story of how Abraham's just about to sacrifice his son. He's ready. And then it's a dramatic pause. And then God stops him. He, he tells him to stop. And then there's the goat to be used instead. And when she told this story, you know, the, the inflection in her words was just so full of joy, you know, that she could tell, there's this goat instead. Isaac didn't have to die, you know. And so I think this means that this is a great lesson in Sunday school because it helps show the devotion, the devotion of Abraham that we need towards God. But at the same time, it hides some of the cruelties of this life. However, if the story doesn't. So, in fact, there's a final lesson I found in this passage, and I wish to share it. I don't think it was a lesson that was possibly intended originally to be found. However, it's not a new lesson, and that lesson is already in the Bible. In fact, I think many of you guys already know it. And that is... The Old Testament isn't enough. So, neither one of the two lessons I found in Judges 11 have managed to change the fact that the story of Jephthah and his daughter is a negative one. I just... I ended up, after doing all this, I decided it was just literally impossible to make the story of an innocent child into losing their life into a happy ever after. And in that last statement, that's when I realized it. Now, bear with me here, because I know I'm preaching Old Testament, but I'm going to bring in a little bit of New Testament in the mix, because that's how I've been taught to view the world. You know, through Jesus... That is who I'm trying to follow and learn from. So that is where I'm going to be reading here today. If you would, please go with me. Matthew 16:25. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. We also have John 5:19. Jesus, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you. The son can do nothing by himself, but he can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. And in John eight twenty eight, so Jesus said, When you lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. So, going back to the first verse, 25, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will find it. 
you know, this was said by Jesus. And if we go back and reference everything he says, you know, the things that come to us from Jesus come from God. You know, everything that Jesus said is not necessarily something new. It's something that God already had. He's just using Jesus to reconcile with us. And so if with that mindset, if you would, let's just reread the Judges 11.36. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you have promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. And I think right there, I think when you read it with all of this in mind, it changes a lot of that text. Because before, it was about Jephthah's foolish vow. And before, it was about the cost of obedience, what was given up. But when we look, it's about the reward of obedience now. And it's not Jephthah's obedience, but the daughter's, the daughter's obedience here. And when I reread this passage, I can't help but feel joy because I, I can't help but feel that his daughter gained eternal paradise through that, through her sacrifice, through her willingness there. I can't, you can't convince me otherwise that, that that is not actually a happy ending, at least for her. Granted, there were sacrifices made, but her reward was just so much better. And that's where the joy that I gained from this passage really comes from when I realized that we as Christians... Right now, today, me studying this passage, we have access to what those before us didn't. We have the New Testament. We have Jesus' words to help reconcile us. When I just used the Old Testament to look at this passage, I felt powerless in the sense of it's just, it is a harsh lesson. And, and it is. It still is. This doesn't really change what it is or what it, what it does say, but the fact is, I don't live in the New Testament. Uh, sorry, I don't live in the Old Testament. You know, I'm not a Jew at the time. I am a Christian, one who follows Christ. And so this passage, when I read it now, it looks like this is what my life would look like if I didn't have Jesus. Because I definitely cannot say that I've never made a foolish statement. I cannot say that I have not spoken out of turn or spoken something that I regret. But the thing is, my life isn't without them. In fact, I have them. So, in conclusion, I still wouldn't recommend using this passage in a child's Sunday school. I'm not that good, sorry. But when I read this passage now, I have learned that I want to give thanks for the amazing grace we find in Jesus. Because in some cases... In some people, it wasn't always an option.